Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. When you ask Katie Egan what her favorite class is, she doesn't hesitate. My favorite uh, class I'm taking and my favorite class of all time is math. I think I'm just really good at that and I love it. Katie is in 10th grade. She lives in a small town in upstate New York, which is about halfway between Buffalo and Syracuse. But up until a few months ago, even though she was good at math, the class posed a serious problem for her. And to be fair, so did Spanish and lots of other classes, because getting homework done could be really tricky since Katie had no Internet at home. I cannot afford it, along with all of the other bills I have to pay for my house, like electricity, plumbing, stuff like that. I talked to Katie by phone while she was waiting for her mom to pick her up from the library, and she said she often needs the Internet to do her school assignments. I've had two projects in math this year where we had to create a slideshow on Google Slides to present to the class and teach them a unit that we had done before. And it was a big chunk of our grade for that uh, quarter of the year. So if I hadn't gone onto the Internet... I wouldn't have been able to have a good grade in the class. Do you know if teachers ever are aware that when they say, like, oh, you have to do this thing using Google Slides or you have to look this figure up from history, that maybe everybody doesn't have the Internet? Um, I think, like, teachers, they just assume that we all have Internet access. They don't think that there is a small portion of us who aren't as lucky and have little to no money to afford that. Angela Seifer, the executive director of the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, says stories like Katie Egan's are not unusual. She hears something similar from families around the country. So they're looking at their bill and they're like, okay, you know, these are the bills that we have for the month. What can we cut? What don't we like? Internet is really important, but look, we just have to feed the kids. Right. And so that gets not doesn't get prioritized. And then the kids come home from school and their homework all requires them to be online. Right. So then the parents are in this situation, and this has happened multiple times, right? We hear the story again and again. The parents are then in a situation where In order for their children to have a successful education, their kids need to have Internet at home because what ends up happening is when they don't have Internet at home, then they're finding public spaces. That is exactly what Katie Egan did. She started camping out at the library every afternoon. It all started, I believe, in eighth grade. I started going there. It really started because I had to do a project for a certain class. And so I needed to get on the Internet. So I asked my mom to go to the library, and she said I could. And it just went from there, and I'm, I still come to the library every single day. But libraries close. And while some kids in town are putting the finishing touches on their schoolwork at 10 at night, other kids aren't. Katie says there are lots of people where she lives in upstate New York who've got Internet access, and there are plenty who don't. Here's how she describes the divide in town. There's two sections to it, really. There's the side of the town that is very high-end, very posh and rich and just well-run. And then there's the other side of town that's really run down. And it looks like a disaster. It looks like a twister came running through the town. In the fall of 2017, Katie Egan got a small box from the library. It was a hot spot that she could take home and it would give her access to the Internet. It was free. The library had gotten a grant to cover it. And lots of other kids got the boxes, too. 
Katie says she was surprised at how many people needed them. I asked her how this little box that gives her the internet has changed her life. It's changed completely for the better. It makes it easier to do work at home, so I don't have to go to library all the time, even though I still do because I just love it there. But it makes it easier to do homework anywhere because I can just take the hotspot with me and take it anywhere with my Chromebook and have the internet. Angela Seifer, who runs the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, says that about 60 million Americans, close to one in five of us, are either without steady internet access or without any internet access at all. Which ends up, she argues, hurting the economy for all Americans. One barrier to access is that families can't afford the bill. Other times, there's just not that much coverage or not that much good coverage where they live. And it takes a toll on the jobs that people can get on the medical advice that they can access, and on their success in school. If you go into a low-income neighborhood after the library closes, after schools close, you'll see kids hanging around outside the buildings. Go to a McDonald's on, on an evening, a uh, day before school, and you'll see kids doing their homework. And they're using the Wi-Fi network of McDonald's. They're using the Wi-Fi, okay. right. They're using free Wi-Fi wherever they can get it. Uh, I have... Um, two teenage children, and I can tell you they don't do homework when they're supposed to do homework. Right. So if you're like, well, children, let's just all make sure we do our homework before 7 p.m. when the library closes. That's just not the reality of how Mm -hmm. kids operate, Mm -hmm. right? They wait till the last minute, and then here it is, 9 o'clock at night, and they don't have their homework done, and you don't have internet at home. Right. So what ends up happening? The kid doesn't do his homework. It's very heartbreaking. And I'm guessing there's a lot of places where parents do not want to actually let kids out at 9 or 10 at night, where it's dangerous enough. They're worried about what's going to happen. And, like, homework is important, but physical safety is more important. And so they're not going to—they don't want them hanging around McDonald's. Yes, there's a story we heard um, that was told to me of um, a student in high school who was in AP classes, and he lived in the housing authority, and the best place for him to get internet was the Walmart. And his mom said, actually, the Walmart is not a safe place. Stuff goes on in the parking lot that she is not comfortable with. And so she did not want him going there to do his homework. And he would get frustrated with her because he needed to go do his homework, but she wanted him to be safe. When you go around and talk to people, what do like ordinary people who are advocating for more Internet access in their area, what do they feel like they're missing? They feel like they're wasting their time because if it takes them 30 minutes to do the online banking and uh-huh. it should have only taken them five minutes to do their online banking, then that's 25 minutes they just lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they have to go in town, uh, you know, or drive two hours to get uh, to a hospital where they could have done um, a video uh, interview with a doctor from their their rural home rather than driving into a a larger city that's hours away. Again, they just lost those hours driving in the car to get there and the gas money and the work time lost. So there's a lot of loss associated with not having the amount of broadband in your home that you really need to be participating successfully today. Right. Have you heard people say that you that they feel like um, it hurts their job prospects, that either they don't get practice or they I, like, can't even go on recruiting sites, I would guess? Yeah. No, let me tell you a very sad story. Uh, there's a program in Mississippi where uh, individuals who wanted to change careers or wanted a better job were taught how to use the computer and how to do telework. Right, how to work from home. Mm-hmm. And so someone got a, um, a job offer from 
uh, a company where she would be doing customer service from her home. It was going to be a huge step for her and her family. And then the company required her to do a speed test, and the job offer was off the table. Mm -hmm. Her home broadband was not fast enough for her to have this telework job. So like her whole family situation would have changed with this new job. And she was so close. Right, right. But she did not have fast enough Internet at home. And so the opportunities of other positions were thin. There wasn't a lot of choice out there for her on where she could find a job. And she had the training. She was ready. And then it was gone. Right. And that it sounds like the faster um, speed was just not available. Like it wasn't an option she could choose, right? No, she had. In fact, it was AT&T service and it was less than three meg. And they said they couldn't AT&T couldn't fix okay. that unless she, you know, was able to pay for a very high connection being added, which obviously she's not in right. a position to do. Can you give me a sense of where in the country you see uh, a lot of people like where are the hot spots? that essentially people don't have internet access? Are there cities, are there states where a lot of people are concentrated that don't have internet access? Yes. Each year we look at publicly available data and we come up with a list of the worst connected cities in the U.S. And folks really don't like to be on this list, <laughs> but, it, but it does draw attention to it. It is more common for us to hear about rural areas that don't have access, which is a very serious problem, um, and it's expensive to solve. But we as the country have to address that if we want everyone to be online, which we do because that benefits all of us to have everybody else online. There's a misconception that urban areas are just taken care of, that there is more competition in those places. So if we take Cleveland as an example, what has happened in the whole state of Ohio was – about 11 years ago, there was a state law passed that allowed cable providers to have cable franchise agreements throughout the whole state rather than negotiating with individual municipalities. And this seems at the surface like a good idea because it would make it easier, right, less red tape for them to set up their networks. But in reality, what happened is that the the best phrase that we've come up with is digital redlining. Hmm. So they chose the areas that were more profitable, And this happened in Cleveland, Detroit, Toledo. So these are places in Detroit, Michigan. They had the same the same law passed there. Uh, These are places where there is access to broadband, but there's not competition because certain AT&T in particular decided not to invest in poorer neighborhoods in those cities. So you can get spectrum charter uh, broadband service, really fast fees, but it's going to cost you about $65 a month. Hmm. You can get AT&T and it would be a bit less. It would be more like 35 to 40. But the speed that you get is going to vary. It might not even be three meg because they just didn't invest in your neighborhood. So I'm guessing that means it's very, very slow to download things or to watch videos or whatever. It's about impossible. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Angela Seifert. She's the executive director of the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. And we're talking about the digital divide in America. Um, Give me a sense of how we relate to other countries. Because when we talk about 60 million-ish people not having good or reliable internet, that's about one in five Americans, which is strikes me as a lot because, you know, people think, oh, the Internet is ubiquitous. Not if one in five people can't get on it um, in a regular way. How do we compare to, like, France, to Canada, to Australia, to England? Like, how do we compare to other places? Right. So we're, we're mid-range. Okay. Right. But 
as a country that is used to being at the top in technology and innovation, is mid-range really okay? Like, are we all are we okay with being mid-range? Uh, there are some that are doing way better than us, and there are some that are not doing as well as us. Uh, so we need to decide if if we are going to continue to be at the top of the game in terms of technology and really lead the world, we need to make sure everyone is participating. Because we've already seen plenty of examples of how our technology has failed because we weren't involving people of color, for example, mm-hmm. um, because then it's less usable to folks of color because there weren't people of color creating it. Right, right. Now, here's my question. I feel like, and I may just be imagining this, but that about 50 or 60 percent of the State of the Union addresses I've heard over the last 20 years talked about bringing connectivity to people in America who do not have it, like giving them access to the Internet, going out into rural areas and bringing broadband. This seems like a bipartisan issue because we've talked about inner cities, those tend to vote Democratic, rural areas, those tend to vote Republican. So it seems like there's something here for everybody. Why have we not been better um, in addressing this issue? We've gone at it in a very piecemeal kind of way. So some administrations and programs have addressed anchor institutions, for example, libraries and schools, and and those are really essential. Um, Others have gone at rural populations, but it was limited to only certain internet service providers were eligible for the funds to roll that out. Uh, There was stimulus money that was used also, but that was only for middle mile not to getting to people's homes. So So there's been these little pieces here and there, but we haven't had a national plan where we said this is really important and we're going to really do this. What we've allowed to have happen in the country is that those who have a financial interest in it have been controlling the conversation. And that has got to stop. Hmm. What is your balance of like encouraged versus discouraged in in what you do and the kind of developments that you see on a daily basis? I fluctuate wildly. (laughs) (laughs) There are days when I am super frustrated when I'm hearing these incredibly sad stories of folks who could have had jobs, Mm. uh, of kids who have to go into unsafe places to do their homework. Uh, But then there are we, for example, we just ended our national uh, conference, which we held, um, coincidentally, in Cleveland, Ohio. And we had uh, over 300 attendees talking about the, all the creative solutions that they're coming up with to increase connectivity in their communities. And that is really, it's uplifting beyond belief. Angela Seifer is executive director of the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Angela, thank you so much for your time. Kara, thanks for having me. I spoke with Seifer and Katie Egan, the high school student that you heard from, back in the spring. And if you're wondering what your home internet speed is like, and they vary a lot, we will have a link to a quick and easy internet speed test that you can do at home that's at innovationhub.org. 